Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. All right, well, here's something you haven't heard in the last three months, at least from me. Good morning, church. Good to see ya. Y'all look better than when I left y'all. What's going on? Hey, listen, I, 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 uh, welcome back to my life. Um, as you've welcomed me back into yours, I want to tell you one quick thing just coming off of that. Um, I went to, I had the privilege only twice, I only went to church twice in the last 13 weeks. But I went to two EPC churches, one in Washington and one in Pennsylvania. They're two of the largest churches in our denomination. Um, unbelievable resources. I mean, there's just no end to money and people and all kind of stuff. And um, the gift that we have of worship in this church is incredible. I mean, comparatively, and I was with Jacob and Ellie at this one church, and Jacob was like, I know. He looked at me, he was like, I know, I know, I know. They are so much bigger than we are. But when you look at what we bring, I mean, what the people offer up, just the giftings that God's given us in our choir that blew the lid off the first service with this anthem. And then this morning, oh my goodness, that worship was so good, somebody should have sopped it up with a biscuit. I mean, that was just, that's what I'm talking about. But I missed it. I missed worshiping with y'all so much. Um, I am back from sabbatical, and um, I will be telling you about a lot of adventures that we had. Um, Some of them are unbelievable, and I'll probably have to provide video evidence to some of the stuff that happened to us. Um, But I'm just going to start off today by sharing one story with you from Washington State, and it was when we first arrived there. So this is month three of the sabbatical, the beginning of it. We get to Washington, and it was kind of late in the day, so we said, okay, look, we're just going to assign people rooms. You guys can unpack a little bit, look around just a bit, and we'll cook some dinner and then go to bed. So we did just that, you know, tired from the road. So the next morning, Jane and I get up, and I made her coffee because I'm such a great husband, but I made her coffee, and uh, yeah, I know, not much support on that one, but uh, so... so I get her coffee. She comes. We sit down together, and we're having a quiet time. So we're just reading the Word together and praying. A real, just a rich time with the Lord. And then we hear the kids begin to wake up and make their way upstairs. So we stopped what we were doing, and I walked over to a picture window on the back of the house, and I'm just standing looking out over the water at this amazing just day that's greeting us. And suddenly my attention is drawn to a floating dock. And, and I looked at this floating dock, and, and I see a bird, a big bird on this dock doing something I have never seen a bird do before, okay? The bird is bobbing up and down with its whole body. So, you know, I don't know what to make of this. So I turned to, to Jane and the kids, and I said, do you guys remember that dance from the 80s called the worm? Now, some of y'all don't remember it, so we want to show you what the worm looks like real quick so I don't lose you in the story. Here, here's what the worm is from the 80s. This is a real quick clip. Okay, that's the worm, all right? So I said, I said, do you guys remember that 80s dance called the worm? Well, you're never going to believe this, but there's a gigantic bird on the floating dock, and it's doing the worm. So Jane and Lucy run over. <laughs> And they look out and they bust out laughing. And I'm like, I know, it's hilarious, isn't it? And Lucy goes, Dad, that is not a bird. It's a seal. <laughs> and, and, and I'm just like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Now listen, to be fair, two things. I did not have my glasses on, okay? 
But I'm going to tell you this. A bird and a, sea, a heron and a seal look exactly the same on a floating dock, and I'll prove it because there's a picture of two of them together on the same floating dock. Show that picture of this. I rest my case. Look at this. Is the first one the seal or, or is the second one the seal? You can't tell the difference. They look exactly the same. Not my best moment, okay? Absolutely not my best moment. My family will laugh about that until, well, and, and, and they never will stop laughing about that. Um, I, I am going to be sharing a lot of other wild and wonderful adventures, many more impactful than that. Um, but I want you to know, during my time of sabbatical, it was an incredibly restful time. Um, it, the, the time of richness, the times of richness I had with the Lord were incredible. And some of those times of richness were very intense. Um, today, I'm going to share one of those times which was both rich and intense. And that's my pastor way of saying, hey, this is a sermon that's going to challenge all of us. Now, I want to tell you why it's going to challenge us. Because there are green pastures that we need to be in as the people of God. There is a life of salvation that is for us every day. And if something's in the way, I think it'd be a good thing to get it out of the way, right? So let me share one of my intense times with the Lord where God really got a hold of me. And by the way, I'm resisting the temptation every time I see a face to go, Walt, Gary. Yeah, I'm just, I'm resisting the temptation. So I'm loving you as I'm preaching, all right? Um, but one of these times was, was one scripture, Isaiah 15:30. And here the Lord says this to his people. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust or quietness and confidence is your strength. Now, I want to draw your attention to this first of all because this is one of those places in Scripture where God is speaking directly to his people. And that makes it a very big deal. But look at what God is doing. He is offering his people salvation. Now, not just a one-time salvation event, you know, we come to Jesus Christ. He's offering his people a lifetime of salvation. Salvation as an everyday experience. You know, we, we, we mimic some of this in worship. We sung about that reality where we experience healing and refreshing and coming to life. God is absolutely offering his people that. A life that grows day after day with him, where we get sweeter, we grow taller, we, we become more like Jesus as, as the days go by. You know, we look like him. We love like him through every season of life. We're just going deeper with God. That's the offer. I'll tell you what this offer reminds me of. Um, some of you have read the, the uh, Narnia books, right? Anybody ever read C.S. Lewis, uh, Chronicles of Narnia? One of the books is, uh, is, could be my favorite. I, I've got a two-way tie for the favorite for me, and it's called The Dawn Treader. And here's how that book opens. There are three children, and they're standing, and they're looking at a painting. And all three of these kids are mesmerized by this painting because it's been so vividly painted. Okay, a master has painted this thing. So, you know, they're looking at, at, at this majestic ship and it's on the sea and, and they're just gripped by everything looks so real in the painting. Well, then the painting comes to life and the ship starts moving. You know, you can see the interaction of the wind catching the sail. You know, the, the waves are moving everywhere. The picture has come to life, and then suddenly the kids are pulled through the frame into the picture. They are in the picture. That's Isaiah 15, uh, 30, 15. 
This is the offer that God is making. What God is saying to his people here is, look, he's opening heaven. Here is salvation for all of us. And he's saying, look, people of God, lost people, people everywhere, don't stay on this side of the painting looking at it. Don't stand on this side of salvation. Step through the frame. I want you to be where I am. Come into salvation in its fullness every day of your life. Woo! Okay, I'm getting a little bit excited up here. You know, it's been a while since I preached. And, but, but this is amazing. This is awesome. I mean, look at the offer God is making to you and I. You know, forget the theory of religion. For, you know, forget the high-mindedness of it. Just talking about it all day long. Life with Him. Well, the glory of this passage is God doesn't leave it a mystery as how to step through the frame. He makes it really simple. In fact, there's only two steps you know, some of you guys like to do the two-step, you know, whatever that is. What, the, here's your two-step. God says, look, all it is for you, the people of God, to get to where I am is repentance and rest. Repentance and rest are the steps you take to get through the frame. So here's what we're going to do. This week, we're going to talk about the first of these, repentance, and next week, we're going to talk about rest, all right? So I'll come on strong this week, and then I'll just cuddle you close next week while we rest. So we're going to talk about repentance, so let's all do the definition of repentance. We're all pretty familiar with it. Repentance involves an action, right? Anybody know what the action is? Turning, right? Yeah, it's turning, right? And changing works too. But repentance is sim- by simplest definition, we turn from our sin and we turn to God, right? So the way this happens for us the first time is here we are in the world. Maybe we're a child, maybe we're adult, but we're lost, well, repentance is when we hear the message, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we realize, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm full of darkness. My life, even if it's a good life, without Jesus, I, it, it's a death march, right? I mean, dead man walking, that's what it is, or dead woman walking, that's what we're doing. But we hear about Jesus Christ. We believe in that moment He is God, and we turn to Him. Lord and Savior, I receive you, I accept you, Jesus, come into my life. That moment of awakening where we realize and we turn, that's repentance, okay? We all knew that. Uh, I think we all knew that, yeah. Okay, well, here is the great tragedy and the colossal mistake that so many of us make as Christians. We, we, we think or we believe that basically when it comes to repentance, we are done with it after that moment, uh, that first moment with Jesus, we invite him in. You know, we believe that, hey, you know, and, you know, unless I do something like big, scary, and hairy, you know, I'll never really need to repent ever again. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Steve, you're crazy. No Christian in his right mind would ever say that or her right mind would ever say that. But we live like this all the time as if we have nothing ever again to repent of. And I'll prove it to you. Let's start with Isaiah 15, 30. Well, where is it in there? It's at the end of the verse. I cut off the end. Listen to this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Now, just catch the context God is talking to people who already belong to him. Okay, now this is before Jesus, but still, these are the people of God in the Old Testament, and he is charging them with with unrepentance. And, And then God continues, 
He goes on in verse 16 and 17. He says, look, people of God, it's as if you've turned to me and said, you know what? God, we're going to jump on horses and we're going to ride off in the other direction. And then God says, that happens. And then later on, you are only to be overtaken by your enemies all over again, by your sin. And then here you are now, left like a barren flagpole on a hill, just up there all alone. That's heavy duty. That, that, that's some serious stuff. Okay, so Steve, when has this ever happened? Okay, I mean, so, so how could this possibly happen to God's people? Paul b- deals with this, believe it or not, this very subject, the Isaiah 30, 15 phenomenon, he deals with this in his opening of Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, what I'm going to do is I will let you read this by yourselves next week because um, there's a lot to cover, but I'm going to hit the highlights. Paul comes and he talks to the church in Rome, and this is a group of people that they got a lot of good stuff going on, but they really are starting to slide in the other direction. So Paul being Paul, he kind of slides into it. You know, he doesn't like Jesus. He, he just subtly moves into the heart of this, and he opens up in Romans 1, verses 1 through 10, and there Paul greets everyone very warmly. Okay, at this point, everybody in the church is like, hey, here's Paul. He's the big cheese. He's here to encourage us. Paul goes on to talk for just a few minutes about Jesus Christ, how amazing he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is God's salvation for the world, that that Jesus has drawn them in as the church, and that he's the good news for everybody who believes. Well, then Paul goes in verses 11 through 16 to tell them why he's come. And Paul essentially says, look, I am here to move every one of you forward in the faith. Man, I've come and I've got spiritual gifts with me. I'm gonna impart those spiritual gifts all throughout the body of Christ. I'm here to see spiritual fruit in your lives, spiritual goodness in you. I wanna move you forward as one body in Jesus Christ. And there's a reason that Paul's doing this. He said the goal of all of this is so that everyone experiences the power of God. Okay, that, okay, I'm sorry, that gets me excited. The power of God. So he's talking about two things, the power of God going out of the church into the world, saving all kinds of people, but he's also talking about that salvation life, right? These green pastures that God is offering in Isaiah 30, 15, that man, the power of God would cut loose in the church. You wouldn't just sing about healing, people would get healed, you know what I mean? Just everything that God can do unleashed on the church. So all of it's wonderful, all of it's great. How is Paul challenging the church? Well, he challenges the church because this church in Rome has got an obstacle. They have got something in the way of them being able to step through the frame into God's green pastures, into salvation as a life. And so Paul now uh, moves to deal with this church on their issue here. Um, And by the way, at this moment, they are unaware of it. So what Paul does, being very pastoral, is he subtly slides into it by talking about sin in general, all right? Um, Paul Paul begins to, to talk about some sins that the church, the Roman church, was against back then. You know, together, they have set their face against these sins. So Paul starts talking about the ancient world's obsession with sexual sin. And y'all, Paul goes in and and he says, look, you know, God's righteous uh, anger against this kind of sin, it's for real. It's serious. And Paul goes on to talk about these sins, these sexual sins from a creation standpoint. 
He talks about them from an idolatry standpoint. He talks about them from, from the standpoint of perversion. He talks about it from a judgment standpoint. You know, he just, he just brings the truth about, you know, this is God's heart about all of this. And then after talking about sexual sin, Paul then lists a bunch of other sins that the church was against back in the day. I'll give you the short list. Um, greed, hatred, murder, deception, malice, God-hating, insolence, and pride. And Paul's really worked up because he even throws in people who disobey their parents. So, man, Paul has hit it. He has laid it out there for the church. And he ends chapter 1 by saying, look, all of these sins, they deserve God's judgment and they deserve death. And you can just hear the church's reaction. You know, man, Paul, Paul is a house of fire right now. You can hear him, amen, Paul. Preach it, brother. Come on, go, Paul, go. Bring the heat, baby. I mean, you could just hear him. And so Paul has thrown this out there about sin. But then we hit chapter two, and it comes right back at the church like a boomerang. And Paul turns to the church and says, you know what, church? You too are guilty of many, many sins. I'm listening up for a cricket because I, I, there were crickets chirping at the, at, in Romans chapter 2 is this church is just flabbergasted. But Paul goes into it and he says, look, you know what, in the church, some of these very sins that I've just talked about, they reside among the people of God. And then he brings up a bigger one. He says, but there is one gigantic one that is called judgment. When the church falls into judgment, it is just as guilty as the blackest sinner out there walking the streets. Paul goes after them. He says, look, you know, guys, you've forgotten the kindness, the love, the tolerance, the grace, and the salvation that you met when you met Jesus Christ. Folks, we're forgetting that. You know, when you obsess on the sins of others, you condemn them and you give yourself a free pass. And listen, Paul is not beating up the church, okay? Paul is not getting ready to have a big collection now that he's made everybody feel bad. What Paul is doing here He's saying to the church, you've got to step through the frame into salvation by repenting. You've got to become instead a repentant church. And then you can go out there and, man, you can model Jesus Christ for the world. You can speak about Jesus Christ, follow Jesus who did not come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. Okay, we got through that, right? Are we all okay still? Man, would you, are you glad you were not in the church in Rome on that day? I mean, I could just feel them just reeling from all of that. But there is a question for us today. How are we doing? How do we do when it comes to sin? What is our response to the sin that is all around us every day? Well, there are typically two responses by the church in general. This is not everybody, every church, but these tend to be the two big camps that churches fall into. And by the way, they're both extremes. The first one is called liberalism, all right? Now, here's what liberalism is. Liberalism, and you see it happening all over the place today, is when we push away God's standards of holiness. You know, we in the church erase what God calls sin. And, 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 and listen, I get it. I see where it comes from. You know, we want to connect with people. We, we want to be compassionate. But in the name of that kind of compassion, what we do is we throw away the cross. We just throw it away. Why? Well, because if there's no sin, there's no need for a Savior, right? I mean, if, if, if it's all over, then why the cross anymore? So liberalism is a big dead end. Stay away from it, right? Don't, you know, if you see police tape, 
Stay away, just trust it. Stay away from liberalism. It is a, it's a train wreck. It is empty. But see, there's another one. There's another extreme. And it's called Phariseeism. And Phariseeism is when we in the church sit back and we, we judge all of those wicked, evil sinners out there and we just give ourselves a free pass. We're good. They're not. You know, we're going up. They're going down. God bless them. Enjoy the ride. I mean, it really is that type of heart. And listen, if you doubt me, <coughs> that hey, this never happens in the church anymore, I can point you to one place where you can find a whole lot of Phariseeism. And all of you know about this. It's a little place called Facebook, okay? Now, Facebook is this thing which, and it can be a great evangelism tool. You can reach out to people on Facebook. You can throw scriptures up there. It can be really good. But I'll tell you this. Many of the posts that I see on Facebook, you know, people, people all over the place, the arrogance, the ivory tower, angry, judgmental, finger-pointing of us against them coming from Christians. It just does not represent the heart of Jesus Christ. I was talking to a lost guy one time. I was like, man, you got to come to church. He's like, man, are you kidding me? I've seen Facebook and I've seen what Christians do. I don't want to go into that. But it's just such a misrepresentation of the heart of God. And I'll tell you, just to be honest, because I came back from sabbatical, and y'all could probably send me right back after this statement. But listen, when I look at some of the stuff that people put on Facebook from the church, honestly, it makes me ashamed. It makes me ashamed to be a Christian. It makes me ashamed to be a pastor. But listen, get away from that and lock onto this. But instead, from Isaiah, from Paul, from Jesus, what we discover about both of those camps, the liberal camp and the Pharisee camp, is both of them are missing the heart of God completely. They're, they're, they're both definitely going down that dead, dead end road I talked about a minute ago. Because you see, for liberals, no matter what, no matter how much we develop as a society, sin is deadly. Sin destroys. The wages of sin is death. You're never going to change that. And you certainly can't erase what God has said about it. It'll never work. But then for Pharisees on the other side, there is one lawgiver and judge, and it's none of us. His name is the Lord, and again, he came to save, not to condemn. But we can break free, because I know we will. We can break free from both of those by realizing the truth. And the truth is this, when it comes to the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus Christ, this life of salvation, it is that the repentant ones are the only ones who are any good out there for the kingdom of God and its king. It is repentant people that carry the anointing and the power and the love and the salvation of God. And when I say repentant, here's what I mean. Those of us who say, okay, Jesus, come on in my heart every single day. You move through every part of my heart, every part of my life. You're doing a good work in me, but you know what? There's still some stuff that needs construction in me. There's still some dark places in me. You come, Holy Spirit. You shine your light on anything that displeases you, anything that's offensive, anything that, that doesn't just say Jesus, and you work on me. Come on. And when it comes to wounds, offenses from the past, ways that we've been betrayed and hurt by others, because that's a biggie, we say, Holy Spirit, come and heal those. And see what happens when that's our heart and that's who we are. What happens to those old wounds, I'll start with the last first, those old wounds become like the wounds of Jesus. Now they are sacred wounds, and they bring healing 
to people who were just as hurt as we were not too long ago. You know, now our story of how God just moved through me, and man, he's making everything new. You know, and I used to be too cool, and I had to walk, but man, now I dance and skip, and I'm just all lit up with all, you know, we tell that story of how God is making me new, and spiritual prisoners get free. And see, that's the way of the repentant. And then when it comes to all that pride and anger and all that junk on Facebook, we can meet that kind of garbage with love, grace, mercy, and just a timely word if we need to comment on it. See, that's how the good news just boom goes like wildfire through a community. It is through the repentant. Now, here's something else about the repentant. The repentant also experience deep fellowship with God. You know, they had the experience of God just showing up. I'll read you Isaiah 30, um, 18, uh, 30, uh, 18. Okay, yeah. It says, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Remember, this is three verses uh, removed from the repentant. Okay, this is the same flow. So it's saying, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, the repentant. He will rise up and show you compassion. It's just another promise for the repentant church. We're just a group of people. Man, we know the Lord, and we just make the Lord known. So here we go. We're four days away, three days away, depending on whether my kids are doing the counting or not. We're three or four days away from Thursday, right, Thanksgiving. You want to enter into Thanksgiving because, you know, we struggle, right, with the holiday mood. Please tell me somebody else does besides me. You know, here comes Christmas. Thank you. Gosh, God bless you in the balcony. But, yeah, you know, we struggle to get in the holiday mood. How do we get to this place of great Thanksgiving? It's easy. Step through the frame through repentance. You know, repent. Give God the keys of your heart and let him move all the way through it. Folks, I'll tell you, that repentance will pull you through the frame into some really green pastures of uh, salvation and life. Now, let me just uh, say this. I am not preaching at you. Like, I didn't think, you know, I wonder what I really need to hit the church with today. This is actually my story. Um, everything I just shared with you happened to me on my sabbatical, and I'll tell you the story. Um, when we first got to Colorado, okay, I'm not, I'm not very rested yet, and I get there, and I just feel all this pressure to, like, rest and just be full of the Holy Spirit and just have everything back. So I get there, and, and I discover that I am stuck spiritually. I am worn out, you know, tired, I'm tired. I'm I feel kind of defeated and discouraged and, you know, just all this stuff, very angry, believe it or not. And the reason why I was so angry in this moment was I had just read Isaiah 30, 15. So I'm looking at God's great big open door, Steve, come on in, come on in, Steve. So I see this big offer, and then I'm looking at the state of my heart and my life, and I am just miserable. Uh, to make matters worse, about the time I had this realization, it started pouring with rain outside, which was a perfect picture of my heart in this moment. So, you know, the kids are all up there doing puzzles, and Jane's doing something. I'm just like, I can't even be around people right now. So I stomped down to the basement, and I opened the garage door, and I'm looking out at the rain, and I leaned against the garage door, and um, I just started crying out to the Lord. You know, I was like, God, come on, this can't be it. This cannot be what this is all about. I mean, look at how I am. Nothing's going on spiritually. So I, I, I let God have it for about five minutes. And when I ran out of breath, the Lord just whispered to my heart, and he said, Steve, repent. Just turn to me. And so I started to just confess everything I was feeling, like I'm letting it go, right? Uh, Lord, uh, I'm angry about this. I'm tired about this. So, and it's like this black waterfall. It's just spewing out of me. 
And before I know it, I realize I'm confessing judgment. I didn't even mean to confess to God that I'm a judging, but I just start confessing judgment. Lord, I've judged these people. I've judged this group. Um, you know, I've just been judging people in my life, and I just, so I, I stick with it. I hang in there, and about 10 minutes later, I realize, wait a minute, there's no black waterfall coming out of me anymore. The water is just clean and clear. And I looked up and I'm like, I just feel light and free and joyful. I mean, this is repentance. It's awesome. And so I opened my eyes and I looked outside, right? And I took a picture of what I saw. And this is the end of the prayer. And I want you to see it. Look, look what the Lord had for me. The second I got that junk out of my system. Okay. Now, for those of you who are very tech savvy, this is not just a rainbow. This is a double rainbow, right? It's a double rainbow. Look at this. And I'm looking down at this thing, right? Actually, I was praying at 11,000 feet, just so you know. But I'm looking down at this rainbow. What is a rainbow? It is God's, it's the Old Testament sign of God's love, God's favor, God's forgiveness, and a brand new start. So folks, I just tell you that as your pastor to say, listen, don't make the tragic mistake of thinking that repentance doesn't apply to you. You know, it's good for those guys in the back row. They probably need it. But, you know, we up here are okay. Don't make the mistake of thinking repentance is not for you. If that is true, I'm going to tell you something. You're a Pharisee. You need to know that because that's the heart of Phariseeism. When we're all good and they all need to get it together, that's Pharisaical in its purest sense. Because, listen, God's, God's gift to us for a lifetime is repentance. It's just the sweetest fruit, this everyday experience of God moving from here to there, dealing with this and that, dealing with everything that makes us feel defeated, everything that makes us feel flat, everything that makes us blame other people. You know, everything that, that turns Christianity in just a theory and church a drag and holds us back from loving him and other, other people. Repentance is God's gift to move us all the way through. And again, I'll say it. The repentant are the only group of people out there in this world that are doing any good for the kingdom of God. And listen to this. The repentant are the only ones who will carry revival. Charismatic church, right? Are, are, man, are we waiting for revival? Are we ready to step into revival? History shows us. Go back and look at every revival that ever hit. Look at everything in Scripture that talks about revival. There is one absolute condition for revival to come throughout the Word of God, and it's repentance. When God's people pray, you know, I can even prove it. Let me think. Let me think really hard. I know there's a verse that talks about if we repent, God will move in power. Um, Let me see. I'll start with this one. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's repentance. It's behind us every single week. If we will do this, come on, Lord, what do we get? Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal heal their land. Y'all, that is like the KPC verse. This is us. So listen, today I invite you in Jesus' name, to step into repentance. And let me tell you, the water is good. Swim in this water. Enjoy. Listen, I, I've been backstroking in repentance. All you know, I, I, Listen, it's the greatest thing that ever happens to any of us. And especially with Thanksgiving coming, man, I'm ready to have some joy up in my place, right? So are you, all up in here and all around us. So we're going to end with a little bit of ministry time, all right? So I'm going to invite you to stand up, okay? 
I invite you to stand up and do something. I feel like the Lord would, would, would have us do this today. I want to ask you to hold your hands out like this, and I'm holding mine out. I want to ask you, what is it in your life that feels like a chain? What feels like a burden? What is dark? You know, if you have a blacklist with some names on it, who's on that list? Today in Jesus' name, would you, with me, would you be willing, and I was doing this during worship, would you be willing with me just to say, Lord, here it is. Here are those people that I hold in contempt. God, here are these things I can't, I feel like I can't break free from. Here is the darkness that I so quickly entertain. And I just want to pray for us, all right? And the backside of this prayer is awesome. So let me just lead us. Father, in Jesus' name, God, right now, we, the people of God, you know, we recognize, Lord, we recognize your great work. You are such a good, good Father. You are the God of of compassion, but you're also the God of judgment. And I thank you that for us, you judged our sin on the cross. But Lord, we find ourselves sometimes falling back into it, giving ourselves a free pass. Lord, this world is so easy to judge around us. And Lord, today in Jesus' name, we want to let all of that go. We want to release those individuals to you. We want to release anything that's dark and deadly in Jesus' name. We want to turn completely to you right now and just say, God, cleanse us. God, heal us. And Father, I thank you that when it comes to forgiveness, it's already ours. We don't even have to convince you. You've already done it. So Father, in Jesus' name, we receive forgiveness. And I pray for this body right now in Jesus' name that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation. Anywhere it's lacking, anywhere we're empty, restore the joy of your salvation. Holy Spirit, breathe and blow over us. Fill us to overflowing. Just come in like that rushing wind that you are and just blow out all the dust in our lives and refill us, refresh us, restore us revive us, resurrect us. Father, I thank you for what's out there for us because, Lord, you have offered us the chance to step into life with you and just carry it and live it and even be life for a world that's just waiting and hungry. God, I ask you to just blow people's mind with thanksgiving, just the appreciation and gratitude. Lord, we thank you for the feast we get to enjoy. And I pray that no matter how awesome what is on that table on Thanksgiving Day is, I just pray that it will pale in comparison to the richness of fellowship and love with you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.